Well, happy Sabbath. It's been a while since I've been up here, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, if all goes well, we will have one more guest speaker next Sabbath, and then our pastor and Angie will be back the following week, so we're looking forward to that. But uh, I have a message I want to share with you this morning that is entitled, Remember. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we're going to open your word now, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. I'm just, uh, just a messenger. The message is you, and it's from you. So please speak to us, myself included. In Jesus' name, amen. In December of 1835... During the Texas War for Independence from Mexico, a group of Texan volunteer soldiers occupied the Alamo, a former Franciscan mission located near the present-day city of San Antonio. On February 23, 1836, a Mexican force numbering in the thousands and led by General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, began a siege of the fort. Though vastly outnumbered, the Alamo's 200 defenders, commanded by James Bowie and William Travis, and including the famed frontiersman Davy Crockett, they held out for 13 days before the Mexican forces finally overpowered them. For Texans... The Battle of the Alamo became an enduring symbol of their historic resistance to opposition and their struggle for independence, which they won later that year. From March into May, Mexican forces once again occupied the Alamo, and for the Texans, the Battle of the Alamo became a symbol of heroic resistance and a rallying cry in their struggle for independence. And finally, on April 21st, 1836, Sam Houston and some 800 Texans defeated Santa Ana's Mexican force of 1,500 men near the present-day Houston. And they shouted as they went, Remember the Alamo! as they attacked. The victory ensured the success of Texan independence. Santa Ana, who had been taken prisoner, came to terms with Houston to end the war. And in May, Mexican troops in San Antonio were ordered to withdraw and to demolish the Alamo's fortifications as they went. A little history lesson for you this morning. Remember. Interesting word. Dictionary.com website says, to remember is to recall to mind by an act of memory, to think of again, to retain in the memory, to keep in mind or remain aware of. I'm not sure what prompted me to study this particular subject, but as I looked through my, 
my, my Bible app online, I found that the word remember or remembered appears in the Bible some 230 times. And sometimes the remembering is an act of God, and sometimes it is an act of man. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, the most common use of that word comes to our minds in the Sabbath commandment. We have, at least hopefully, committed it to memory. And we like to mention that it's the only commandment that begins with the word, remember, which is a valid point. Have you ever had your spouse say to you, for those of you who are or have been married, have you ever had a spouse say to you, remember to pay the water bill or remember to take the trash out? Now, why do they say remember? Because your spouse knows or someone close to you knows that you are very likely to forget. And so they begin with the word, remember to pay the water bill. You can ask my wife. She's not here today, but you can ask her. She has said to me before, remember to pay the water bill, dear. And she says that because I have forgotten a time or two. But remember. As I searched the Bible, I found seven important instances of remembering that I want to talk about this morning. And the first one is found in the book of Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. And wonderfully, it is not, it is not man remembering or having to remember. It is God doing the remembering. Genesis 8 and verse 1 says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The very first instance of the word remember in the Bible is that God remembering Noah. Now, I don't know about you, but I have trouble remembering things. And they say as you get older, it gets worse. As someone once said, there are three things to go as you get older. The first is your memory, and I can't remember the other two, <laughs> right? So many of us have found that to be true, but I'm thankful that God needs no help in remembering. Now, since it said that God remembered Noah, does it mean that, that God had forgotten Noah at some point and then later on had remembered him? No, not at all. It meant that God had them on his mind. Picture, picture yourself in a big old boat. Has anybody, I know some of you have, has anyone been to the, to the, to the, to the ark model over in uh, Kentucky, East Kentucky, I believe? Numbers of, of us have been there. And remember being one of eight people inside that massive structure and the wind is blowing and remember, I mean, think about being inside that boat and it's swaying back and forth as the water continues to rise. 
Some of us would get seasick. And as the water continued to rise and the thor- and, 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 and thunder rolled and the storm was raging outside, Scripture tells us that God had Noah and his family on, their, on his mind. You know what? And God kept them in his mind. And you know what else? God has you on his mind. He knows you. He knows the struggles that you have been through this week. He knows the storms that maybe some of us have met head on this week. And God has remembered you. I'm thankful for that. Go with me to the book of Isaiah 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 through 16. Isaiah 49, 14 through 16. And it says, but, God, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever said that? Maybe many of us don't like to admit that, but I think all of us have at times in our lives when we're going through something really difficult, we have said, God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? God's people had that trouble back then as well. But the Lord had an answer. In verse 15, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. Yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Isn't that beautiful? God says, I haven't forgot you. I haven't abandoned you. I'm right here. Your walls. Some people say, what is that reference to? Remember how the walls of Jerusalem was, was what enclosed them in. The walls kept the enemies out. Likely that reference of Zion is a reference to Jerusalem, known in that time frame as the city of God. And the walls of Jerusalem represented the health, the strength, the prosperity, and the security of God's people. And God was saying he would not forget his people, no matter what. And you know what? We serve the same God today. The same God as back then, thousands of years ago. We serve that same God today. And he has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. And Jesus said it himself, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The second remember that I found that was interesting, we're in Isaiah. Turn backwards just a page or two to the book of Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 through 10. Isaiah 46, 3 through 10. This is a little bit of a long reading, but there's context here that I want you to see. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and even to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry and deliver you. To whom will you liken me? 
and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They prostrate themselves. Yes, they worship. They bear it on the shoulder. They carry it and set it in its place and it stands. From its place it shall not move, though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, here's the point. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my pleasure. God says, Remember the former things. In the book Testimonies, volume 9, page 10, we have a little sentence here, and it says, We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and is teaching in our past history. Isn't it amazing that sometimes we have had amazing experiences with God and we've seen him do amazing things for us. And then just a short time later, it's like it's gone. That experience is gone. We're left questioning, God, where are you? And he's saying, don't you remember what I've done for you in the past? Don't you remember the time when I symbolically moved the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea for you? Don't you remember the time that I symbolically raised the dead for you when I've done all these things for you? I've provided for your needs. I've answered your prayers. I've done this for you. I've done that for you. Remember the things of old. And as the sentence said, we don't have anything to fear for the future, right? No matter what future is coming, we know what future is coming, right? We have Bible prophecy. We understand the things that are coming, maybe not day to day, but we understand the movement that is coming upon planet Earth. But God says we have no need to fear for the future except that we forget how God has led us in the past. I love that. So many times, we forget what God has done for us in the past. Especially when we're between that rock and hard place, right? We can't see no way out. We see no solution to our problem. We've all faced that at one time or another. We forget that God says, Behold, I am the God, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? That's found in Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Is there anything too hard for God? No. I shared with someone this week something I'm praying about. Something that I'm praying about myself that seems to be impossible. But you know what? I serve a God who can part the Red Sea. And not only can he part the Red Sea, but he can dry the ground on the bottom so that you don't get your wheels stuck and you don't get your feet. uh, The Israelites didn't get all stuck up with mud and sand. They walk through on dry ground. That's the kind of God I serve. 
And so while I don't know if he's going to answer this thing, I don't know what the result is going to be, but I know he's able. And I'm going to continue to take that in prayer to him each day. Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 through 5. Now, a lot of this has a very specific application to the past, but I believe some of it is relevant for us today. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. I'm not so great at taking my own advice, but I feel like every one of us should have a little prayer journal or a little remembrance book. And write down the things that God has done for us. So that when we're feeling discouraged or when we're feeling lonely or lost or forgotten, we go back and look at our little, our little journal, our remembrance journal or our prayer journal and remember, oh yeah, God did that for me. God did that for me. I kind of have done that. <clears throat> um, I haven't been so good at keeping, up, keeping it up the last probably two years. But I do have a file on my computer that's about 10 or 12 pages long now. And it has to do with how I went my wife and how God brought us together. And I have all those details there. And it's nice to go back from time to time and reread and remember what God has done for you and through you and your family. God said, you shall remember. See, God has made promises. He made promises to the Israelites back then because we are now spiritual Israel, right? God has made promises to them <clears throat> And the same promises hold true for us today. But God's, come, God's promises come with a condition. And it says, you shall remember. Remember the, for the former things of old. Don't forget the past. and It will help you and, 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 and encourage you to go on through the future. Rem number three that I found Found, comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And it says this. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember your creator, God says. 
Statistics say that the older a person gets, the less likely they are to commit their life to Christ. Now, of course, there are many examples of many um, um, exceptions to that, and it's not a rule necessarily. It's just statistics say. Why? Because as we get older, patterns are established, habits are formed, and let's face it, some of those habits are hard to break, right? Only a miracle of God can reach people in their older years. That's why the scripture says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. But today, modern dogma would, te- do- modern dogma would tell us that there is no creator. That we evolved from a, a pool of goo millions of years ago. And we are just the next step in the evolution of what humanity has become. I'm thankful that that's a lie of the devil. That is a lie. And you will never convince me otherwise. I once saw an illustration that talked about how creationists see mankind Versus how evolutionists see mankind. And they did a diagram and they said, I'm going to turn around so I'm facing you. That mankind, in the eyes of evolutionists, by the way, mankind started low like this. And over the millions of years, mankind has climbed higher and higher and higher to a higher position. But the word of God tells us that mankind actually started up here and is slowly progressing or degressing more and more and more like this. I call it the big X of humanity. And guess what? When society believes that we come from animals, we act like animals. Thank you, Bob. Exactly. Anybody watch the news recently? Anybody watch any political discussions recently? Probably a good, good thing, Brother Bob. But, yeah, we act like animals. Read Romans chapter 1. tells you about it. But no, we are created in the image of the Almighty God, Formed and fashioned with intricate detail. No mistake. No coincidence. No happenstance. No evolution. We are a special people. Royalty. Children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God says, remember thy creator. Number four. Go with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 31 to 33. Jesus speaking here. 31 says, In that day... He who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. 
And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Why are those verses important? Jesus is talking about the time whenever God's people may have to flee for the rocks and the mountains, get away from society, get away from the cities, and don't stop to take anything with you. Just go and get out. But the next verse says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Why would Jesus say, remember Lot's wife? Let's revisit the story briefly. Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family living there in that wicked and perverse city. God comes down, meets with Abraham, two angels, says, I'm going to destroy the city. Abraham does a little bit of negotiating with God. Would you destroy it if there's 50? No, I'll save it if there's 50. How about 45? No, I'll save it for 45. How about 10? No, I'll save it if there's 10. And he goes in, and all they found was Lot and his wife and two daughters. We know that God sends a destroying fire. The angels basically have to pull them out. Even after the message came that God was going to destroy the the, the city, they kind of lingered for a while. And the angels had to just basically pull them out. And they were told, don't look back. What happened? Lot's wife. She turns around, looks behind her, and the Bible says she became a pillar of salt. Why? Looking back, Shows where your heart is. Now, of course, when you read the story carefully and thoroughly, you find that she left some children behind. Grown children. Daughters or sons, I can't remember now exactly. Her children, still some left behind in the city, who chose not to come. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, Wherever your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. Looking back, we do that sometimes, don't we? Reminisce about the past failures. Reminiscing about things from the past that we wish were here today. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Especially when the enemy is coming to you and reminding you of the things that you did last month or last year or the last 10 years ago. Reminding you and trying to stir you up. Paul said, he said, forgetting those things which are behind. I press toward for the things which are ahead. I like to say, quit looking behind you. You're not going that way. Right? And if you're not looking in front of you, if you're looking behind you, you're going to trip and fall. Exactly. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, 
But he who does the will of God abides forever. It's impossible to really have your mind set on the things of heaven and forward momentum toward the heavenly kingdom if we're constantly looking behind us and constantly looking back at what we might be leaving behind. And of course, sometimes it's painful to leave loved ones behind who are choosing not to join us. I'm sure Lot and his wife felt that way. But God has a reward unlike anything we've ever imagined. And it's that way. We must continue going that way. This kind of opens the door for our most famous example of remember. And probably many of us can quote it by memory. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it. If you know it, no pressure, but if you know it, would you say it with me? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all of thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Why is that so misunderstood among our brothers and sisters of other churches today? What does it mean to remember the day? Is it possible that maybe even among Sabbath keepers today that many have just remembered three hours and the rest of the day is just whatever? If God were, we're, were here with us in physical, uh, in, in, with us today, how would he recommend that we remember this day? My, uh, my grandmother that I spoke of earlier, she and my grandfather were of the Methodist church. And I remember when I was a kid, even they would take the would would section the day off and it was different he didn't go out and work in the garden they didn't go shopping they didn't work in they didn't mow the yard they didn't turn on the television it was a day for church and for family that afternoon now i would venture to say that for those who attend church on Sunday, I would venture to say that most people don't do that. Do Sabbath keepers do that? That's the question. This is God's day. It's not yours and it's not mine. And this is His holy time. And we are here in His house seeking His presence. And even when we go home today, we're still seeking His presence, seeking His Spirit to speak to us. Well, why does God want us to remember the day? God is not arbitrary. He doesn't just command us to keep a day for the sake of keeping a day. Thus, obeying 
the commandments to a letter. The Sabbath points us to creation week. And back to the one that we just read earlier about remember the creator in the days of your youth. And thus, as it points us to creation week, it points us to the creator and where we came from. Someone once said that if mankind had continued to observe the Sabbath day, there would be no atheists. Interesting point. But mankind, for the most part, does not honor the Creator, nor the creation, because they have forgotten the day in which to do so. So, how do we remember the Sabbath day? There are three examples. One is coming into the house of God, corporate worship. If you read Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 3 and Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 6 and Luke chapter 13, it says Jesus went into the synagogue. Today we call it church. Too many Sabbath keepers today, though, find themselves doing other things. Staying away from the house of God. Well, I don't get to sleep in any other day. I just want to relax in the backyard today. Ah, oh, the family is coming over for a big gathering today, so I won't be able to be at church. Oh, and then there's the, the lake is calling my name. It's a beautiful day outside. My brothers and sisters, again, I say... This is God's day. It's his time. And he has a right to ask us to do or not to do as he sees fit. When we attend worship service, it's easier to keep our attention upon God, is it not? Ever since you walked into the, into the church this morning, a few of us got here a little early. We've been praying. We had Sabbath school class. We had praise and worship time. We had prayer. We have talking about the word now. Our mind is focused on God, in tune and hopefully listening to what his spirit has to say. If you skip that, the mind gets flooded with all kinds of other things. Where is your attention today? God says, the very first commandment, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. If we can't do that during the week, can't we at least do that on the Sabbath day? And incidentally, Jesus said, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. How many of us keep the Sabbath to ourselves? And we maybe come to church, and then the rest of the day is, you know, maybe closed in to ourselves. I know, I've done it in the past. It's a good day for things like prison ministry. Amen? Amen. It's a good day for things like hospital ministry. With the COVID, it's a little bit different now. It's a good day for nursing home ministry. It's a good day for visiting the sick and the shut-ins. 
It's a good day to gather together and have Bible study or have prayer groups. It's a good day for all of those things. So corporate worship, number one, how we remember the Creator. Number two, or remember the Sabbath day. Number two, stop doing our own thing. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14 says, I can't remember if I gave this. Yeah, I did. I gave this one to, my, to our audiovisual team. I'm glad for that. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord hath spoken. A lot of people say, what does that mean? We take your foot off. It's, 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 a, it's a way of saying that if you put your foot on something, it means you own it. We don't own this day. It is God's day. Stop trampling on the Sabbath. When we disregard the command of God and endure his special day, that's what we're doing. We're treating it like it's our day rather than his. And the third thing that we can do to remember the Sabbath day guys remember the story i'm not going to go there for for the sake of time but in nehemiah do you remember the end of nehemiah when they were when he found the people of god conducting business on the sabbath and he came and he said no no you can't be doing this no conducting business on sabbath and he told the vendors on the outside of the of the wall if you're here next sabbath i'm going to throw you out he said Nehemiah was a captive who was allowed to travel back to Jerusalem in order to re start rebuilding the city. And when he arrived, he found some things that were not quite in order. Today, Sabbath keepers, some, not, not all, the majority, but some, think nothing of doing worldly business on God's Sabbath day, buying and selling, interacting with waiters and waitresses. If Nehemiah were here, he would get on to you. And by the way, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was speaking for God. Amen? Now, remember number six. Go with me to John 14 and verse 25 and 26. John 14, 25 and 26. You know what? That should actually be 26 and 27. My apologies. 26 and 27. I don't know why I put in 25 there. But it says, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now we're going to couple that one with Luke chapter 12. Verses 11 and 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Now,
Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. My number six remember is remember the word. Jesus is telling us that the Spirit will help us to remember the words of our Lord. But guess what? If you don't have the words in there to begin with, nothing to remember. Thank you, Bob. Now, of course, I know that God can, 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 can move upon us and give us words that we had no idea we even have. We've, have you ever done that? You ever, somebody, maybe somebody asked you something, and um, somebody asked me about something about three or four months ago at work, and I, I didn't even have time to pray. They just asked me, they wanted to know about something, and, and I knew that my answer had to come from the Bible, and I didn't even have time to pray, but it just, boom, it was there. I said, thank you, God, for giving me that answer. Remember the word. Some people are really, really uh, ecstatic about memorizing Scripture. And some of us find that difficult to do. Amen. Brother Ricky Carter has found a way to encourage us to do that, though, if you've watched his videos, his Scripture songs, to remember the Word and get it in our minds so that when it is needed and when it is necessary, it will come out. In a book entitled, You Shall Receive Power, page 112, it says this. Temptations often appear irresistible because through neglect of prayer and the study of the Bible, the tempted one cannot readily remember God's promises and meet Satan with the scripture weapons. But angels are round about those who are willing to be taught in divine things. And in the time of great necessity, they will bring to their remembrance the very truths which are needed. Thus, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Amen. Remember the word. Now, my last and final point of remember, you're going to find this interesting, it is that God will not remember. Go with me to Psalms 25 and verse 7. Psalms 25 and verse 7. It says, Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. God has the ability to forget. Now, sometimes we forget things and we don't mean to. And then sometimes there are things that we wish we could forget. And they won't. They're just always there in our mind, right? Also in 40, Isaiah 43 and verse 15. Isaiah 43 and verse 15. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. 
Okay, so our screen has something different, and maybe I, maybe I messed up there somewhere. Maybe it's not 4315. My apologies. But listen to what God is saying there. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I'm glad for that. I am glad for that. I don't want a record of my sins floating around anywhere, right, on that last day. I want them gone. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. How beautiful is that? And I added one that our AV team doesn't have. I'll just read it to you real quick. It's Micah 7 and verse 19. And it says, thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. As someone said, God throws our sins into the depths of the sea. And he puts up a no fishing sign. Stay away. They're there. Leave them there, right? The things, the mistakes of our past. Leave them there. Another book called From Trials to Triumph, page 82, says this. The powers of heaven are watching the warfare which God's servants are carrying on. All the heavenly angels are at the service of the humble, believing people of God. Remember that every true child of God has the cooperation of heavenly beings. Isn't that beautiful? Invisible armies attend the meek and lowly ones who believe and claim the promises of God. Angels that excel in strength at God's right hand, all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. My friends, if we really believe that, if we really trust in these words, we cannot fail. Invisible armies are at your disposal. All of the host of heaven is watching what's going on, and they stand ready to assist you and I to remember. Assist you and I to remember the former things of old. Assist you and I to remember what God has done for us in the past. Assist you and I in remembering our Creator to help us remember the example of Lot's wife, that we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts to help us to remember his Sabbath day and that he is our creator, to help us to read his word and meditate upon it and commit it to memory, and to help us to put our lives in the hands of Jesus Christ so that he will remember our sins no more. 4325, not 15, right? Thank you, Brother Bob. A little mistyped there. Sorry about that. My friends, I invite you to remember today all of these things. And when we feel 
lost or abandoned or alone or discouraged. We'll look back in the past and say, Lord, you've been faithful to me. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Do you see those every morning? I do. I hope you do as well. I want to invite our praise team to come out and sing as we stand together and sing our closing hymn, My Jesus, I Love Thee.
Loving Father in heaven, we know that in our condition we are prone to forget so many things. My prayer is that your spirit will help us to remember the days of our youth, remember our creator, remember the word, remember what you've done for us in the past, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being so good to us. Lord, if there's anyone here today or anyone within the sound of my voice who has not made the firm decision to make you the Lord and Savior of their lives, I pray that they will do that just now while there is still time. The doors of mercy are open for now, but will one day close. And I pray that every person who wants to be saved, to get in that ark of safety, will get in while there's time. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Most of all, thank you for your forgiveness and for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. I pray that each one will find that home in heaven one day where we can thank you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.